It's a, it's a pleasure to introduce Terry Virgo to you. Terry Virgo has uh, been a friend of mine for almost 25 years, and it's uh, fun to walk together and just basically to have the kind of history where you look back and see all that God has done over the years. I mean, far exceeding anything we could ever dream up or expect and, uh, uh, or even imagine. Terry, uh, like many of us probably, came from very uh, humble background. God, in his grace and mercy, did for him what he's done for us, looked upon him and, and uh, saved him and made him his own dear son, and at the same token, caught him up in the purposes that God would have, purposes that no one could have ever dreamed or before ordained. One of the advantages of, of longevity in walking with Jesus is standing on the ground of God's faithfulness in our history, just seeing how God has magnificently blessed us and allowed us the privilege to partner with Him. And so uh, tonight, Terry, who's the, uh, we would say, the, the founder or the father of, of Movement of Churches, New Frontiers, and oftentimes people ask me, how many churches are there? And it's kind of reached a point to where it's difficult to say because uh, churches are being added in different parts of the world all the time, and it's difficult to uh, keep up with what God is doing. That's a movement. <laughs> to, be, to be a part of a movement where things are happening beyond your ability to calculate, and uh, we're just delighted at what God has done and, and the values that Terry's brought to us. And as you know, the message of grace that's been brought liberty to multiplied thousands. So we're a testimony. He's a testimony of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God by itself is frightening, but it's immersed and saturated with God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. And the man who's going to tell you all about that tonight, to God be the glory, is Terry Virgo. Well, hello. It's great to be with you. It's wonderful to be back in Silverton. And uh, first time I've seen this superb tent that you've been using this last couple of years. And uh, just to feel the sense of fellowship that we enjoy here, coming together from a number of different churches. I'm amazed at the distances that people travel. Uh, if you traveled as long as some of you have traveled to get here in England, you'd be in the sea. Uh, you just can't go that far. <laughs> So thank you, and well done for being here. I do hope you'll be uh, restful. Your children will be able to uh, have a restful night's sleep, and you'll enjoy a superb weekend together. It's a great, great privilege uh, for me to be here. This year, uh, visiting each of the celebrations, having been in the Midwest, now with you, and then in a couple of weeks in the Northeast. And uh, as John was saying, it's a great joy to see what God has been doing more and more across the nations. Wendy and I have been in the country uh, for about nine weeks. Uh, we have a couple more to go, and we came over on the 13th of May, which seems a long time ago. And so we're pretty American now. You can hear that, can't you? And, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a joy to be here. I want to speak to you on the two occasions I'm speaking from the book of Jonah. You may or may not want to find that, because Jonah is not the easiest book to find. It's on page 1300 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. Uh, okay, the book of Jonah, 
And uh, I'm going to read the opening chapter, and then we'll get into this wonderful and extraordinary story of God's incredible mercy, kindness, and ability to save. Okay, Jonah, I'm reading from chapter 1. And, of course, being in the USA, I'm reading from the New American Standard <laughs> Bible. Okay? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is that you're sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we'll not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let's cast lots. We may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From where? what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you? That the sea may become calm for us. For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. The sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. Don't put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and the Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of having an open Bible. Thank you for the wonder of singing our praise to you, of knowing you, of being set free from ignorance and foolishness and bewilderment about life. Lord, we thank you. We look to your word as a guide to our lives. 
And we thank you for the promised Holy Spirit who's here to help us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you amongst us. We ask in Jesus' name, dear Father, that the Holy Spirit will speak into every heart. We'll know we are being spoken to by God. We'll feel the urgency of your call and be changed by your word. Come, Lord, right now. We depend upon you. We look to you. We thank you we are here with you. Holy Spirit, do your work amongst us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, Jonah is a very different book to any other book of the prophets in the Old Testament. Most of the prophets of the Old Testament, you'll find chapter after chapter of prophetic utterances, such as in the book of Isaiah, for instance. Very few of the uh, stories of the prophets tell us much about the man himself. It's more what he has to say. Uh, with some of them, you get a bit of an insight. You, you hear some of Jeremiah's pleadings with God. Please, Lord, don't let me have to prophesy anymore. I get into trouble every time I prophesy. We see something of his life. We see something of Hosea who entered into the agony of what God was going through as he saw his people uh, becoming adulterous and going after other gods. And Jonah, I mean, uh, Hosea was allowed to feel some of that. We sometimes get a glimpse of the man. But this book is all about the man. The actual prophesying is eight words. The rest is the story of the man. So tonight we're looking at the story of a man and how God dealt with him, how God's purpose was fulfilled in him, and actually how God showed him incredible mercy and how his focus came right down on an individual man. Though he was concerned for Nineveh, as we'll see as the story goes on, he's very concerned about a great city, he's very compassionate for the city. He's not indifferent to this one man. And I'm praying that God's voice will be heard by lots of one man, one woman here tonight, as you realize God is calling you, speaking to you, dealing with you, drawing you more intimately into his purpose. So just to remind you then that the story of Jonah, yes, yeah, a strange story. Some would say, well, can it be true? I mean, there's such dramatic things that happen. A storm comes, a storm goes. A great fish swallows a man. There's national repentance. A good grows and then dies. Is this possible? Is this possibly happen? Is it, is it just a kind of fairy story? But actually, Jonah is referred to in the Bible as a, a, a factual figure. Jesus referred to Jonah. He compared him or spoke of him in the same time that he was speaking of the Queen of Sheba, who was a real historical figure. And he said, one greater than she is here, one greater than Jonah is here, spoke about Jonah in that kind of natural, practical way. And actually, you can read about Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14. I'll just read one or two verses that remind you that Jonah was a prophet in the time of Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam was a very ungodly king. He was a king who did evil in God's sight, and yet he was very prosperous. There have been such kings, kings that were wicked people and yet were prosperous people. And Jonah prophesied during his uh, time of being king. And you can read about it in 2 Kings and in chapter 14, where we read in verse 23... In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, 
became king in Samaria. He reigned 41 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He didn't depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which made Israel a sin. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance to Hamath as far as the Sea of Araba, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-hepha. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter, and so on. And so we find that Jonah is prophesying success. He's prophesying the extension of the borders. He's prophesying a season of breakthrough and favor at a time when the king was evil. So it's a pretty easy time. He wasn't told, go to him like Elijah was told, go to Ahab, confront him. He was told, go and tell him the borders will be extended, blessing is going to flow, yet he's an evil man. Jonah's got it pretty easy compared with other prophets in the Old Testament. Many prophets in the Old Testament are going against the tides. They're being opposed. They speak with the voice of God and they hit difficulties. Not so Jonah. Jonah has freedom, it would appear, to preach in a bad time a good message. And then suddenly, out of the blue, comes this word, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city. And Jonah is completely caught. He's kind of completely out of step with God. He's not ready for this at all. He's a comfortable guy. He's a professional prophet. Everything's fine and easy. And suddenly he's called to do something he has no appetite to do at all. He's suddenly out of step with God. He's suddenly in a completely different frame of mind to what God is saying to him. And he's one of God's prophets. But he's in the wrong kind of frame of mind altogether. And it says that in that moment, really, he was forgetting God's concern for all the nations. Now, Israel often went through periods like that, where they became self-centered, when they became just taken up with themselves, they ignored other nations. But when God started speaking to Israel, when he began with Abraham, he said to Abraham, through you, through your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's purpose in calling Israel was to reach the world. That was the way God was going to do it. I'll call this nation. This nation will be blessed. Out from this nation will come the Messiah. I will teach them many things through the Old Testament. Ultimately, that will be translated to global purpose. So God was always with his eyes on the ends of the earth. He said to Abraham, can you count the stars? Can you count the sand or the sea? So many will your children be. So God's plan was always the ends of the earth, every nation. Sometimes, like in David's time, David, when he led the nation, he taught them many psalms which said, all the nations will worship you, all the nations will fear you. They were aware when they were really walking with God that they were there for more than themselves. They were there for the ends of the earth. God was concerned with the nations. But at this time, when God spoke to this prophet about another nation, he doesn't want to know about another nation. He's not interested in taking that message. He's not in step with God at all. He's completely out of step. And also, he doesn't share God's heart. When God said to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to pour down judgment on them, you find Abraham pleads with God, God, don't do it. 
And he's like a true prophet. He hears this thing and he pleads with God, please don't do that, please don't do that. He knows that his nephew Lot is in that nation. And you read this wonderful praying of this man. He prevails with God and his, his, his nephew is saved out from that crisis. Or also when God spoke to Moses and said to Moses, I'm going to judge this nation. I'm going to judge Israel. I'll start again with you. You find Moses comes back to God and says, no, you mustn't, Lord, have mercy on your nation. What will the heathen say? That you weren't able to take them into the land? You find these great men who really fellowship with God. Abraham, the friend of God. Moses, my friend. These people who respond. No, Jonah's not like that. Jonah's just a professional. He's just a prophet. And when God says this, no, he, he's, there's no response from his heart. There's nothing in him that really feels things like he's meant to. And this instruction really finds him out. And so you find God says to him, now go to Nineveh. Go to this place. But he doesn't value God's mind. He doesn't value God's plan. And he, it says he went from the presence of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to him. That means he's a real prophet. That's the mark of a prophet. The word of the Lord came to him. That's what marks out a prophet. Sometimes we say that certain people are like a prophet. I'm just reading the biography of Abraham Lincoln. I'm really enjoying it. It was like a, a magnificent a giant of a man. He could see what things were going to happen. I've read the, the story of Nelson Mandela. I've read the biography of Winston Churchill. And some of these great guys, they're kind of visionaries. They can see when other people didn't see. They stood against the tide. And people often say, they're prophets. They're kind of modern-day prophets. But they're not prophets like the Bible. In the Bible, a prophet is someone who receives the word of the Lord. They're not just clever people. Churchill said that the further you look back into history, the more you'll understand history as it unfolds. He was an observer. He could, he could weigh things up. Yeah, that's a great statesman, yes. But a Bible prophet, the word of the Lord comes to him. God speaks. It's revelation. It's God breaking in. It's God whispering, this is what's going to happen. And in that sense, dear friends, we can all line up with Jonah because in the end times it says we shall all prophesy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. We are in a relationship with God like prophets, really. God, the word of the Lord comes to us. You can be in the Bible in the mornings and you feel, wow, God's really, God's really speaking to me. God's telling me I'm to move house. God's telling me to do this. God's you are in this position of the word of the Lord coming to you. We have this immense privilege not that we're clever, not that we can look at all the signs of the times, but we can find God speaks to us. It's a massive privilege. And here this word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and the story starts here when it says, Jonah didn't do what he was told. He went in another direction. And it doesn't say, so God said, uh, Amos, come along. Uh, Jonah doesn't seem interested. Goodbye, Jonah. Clear off. Amos, would you come? I've got a job for you. It doesn't say that. Jesus talked about the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes off to the one. God isn't one who just says, okay, if you don't want to do it, clear off. You'll find the whole story now builds around the way God goes after this man. 
and how God searches after him. And maybe God's spoken words to you, and you really don't want to hear them. Maybe God's spoken to you about your business, about your relationships, about your marriage, about the way you treat your wife, your husband, the way you raise your children. He, he may be saying words to you, and you say, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I'm, I just want to get on. I'll go to church. I'll, I'll be like Jonah. You know, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the mix, but I'm not really wanting to hear the word of the Lord that's coming to me. I don't really want to shape my life by what he says. I want to do my own thing. And it says that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. He fled. He turned away from God's presence. Now, we might say, how can you flee from God's presence? The psalmist says this, how can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, you're there. And there's that sense in which God is everywhere. God, God cannot be fled from. He says, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. It's like, how can, how can you get away from God? It's like, how can you get away from the presence of God, the Bible teaches? But it also teaches this, that the, the actual word for presence in the Hebrew is the word faith. And it's like he fled away from the face of God, that, that face-to-face fellowship, which actually is what marks out a prophet. Moses, we're told, spoke face-to-face with God. It's like the man, if he's going to be a true prophet, he's got to be hearing God. And when he said, I'm going away from the presence of the Lord, he's going away from what made him what he's meant to be. It's that unique privilege of hearing God's voice, knowing God's closeness, speaking on behalf of God. He's going away from that. It's like when, Abraham, when Elijah stood before Ahab and he spoke to, he went straight to the king. He said to the king, it's not going to rain until I say so. This phenomenal thing that a human being, a man like Elijah, and we're told Elijah was a man just like us, and he stood before a king and said, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then later he went to the king and said, it's going to rain now. And he said, who do you think you are? And he says this phrase, the God before whom I stand. It meant that when you met Elijah, it was like you were meeting God. And beloved, that is the mark of a real prophet. It's like when you're standing there, you're, it's, your, it's the same with Moses. Moses met God at the burning bush, had this encounter with, you, with God. He gets commissioned, and then he goes to Pharaoh. He goes to this great king, this incredible emperor, and says, thus says the Lord. And there's all the authority of heaven is behind him because he's a prophet. And beloved, that should be the mark of the people of God, really. The world's still waiting for a church that looks like it's come from the presence of God. It's coming with some authority. It's coming with some knowledge of God. It's not just learning a few techniques. It's not just incorporating a few management techniques and a few seeker-friendly ideas. We can try and let's get a few people in. Now, something about the church, beloved, should be We've met with God. We come from the presence of God. When we lose that, we've lost everything. When we've lost that awareness that we are with God, God is with us. When we come to worship, we're encountering him. We're meeting with him. When we have an open Bible, when we hear the preaching of the word, we are drawing near to God. God is drawing near to us. We come from his presence. We speak 
with his authority. And that's the mark of the prophetic. The God before whom I stand. Moses saying, let my people go. That sense of which, when you meet this man, you meet the God behind him. And that's how the church should be. When you meet the church, you meet the God who stands behind them. The God who authenticates. The God who is with them and in them. Who speaks to them. Who makes his presence known, his word heard. And so this guy's running away from face-to-face fellowship with God. And that's what makes him an authentic prophet. And he's running away from that. He's now going to make independent decisions. Jesus said this, he's always with me. Then he says this, I always do what pleases him. That, That desire to please the Lord, that desire to hear his voice, is what gave Jesus tremendous authority. No man spoke like this man, it says. They went to try and arrest Jesus. The soldiers were sent. Go and arrest him. They went to arrest him, and they listened, they listened, they come back empty-handed. And and they say, well, where is it? No man ever spoke like this man. He speaks with authority, not like the scribes. And then we read of Jesus behind the scenes, I always do what pleases him. He's always in face-to-face fellowship with his father. This man is running away from that face-to-face fellowship. It's for us, beloved, to put that as a high ideal. Like the psalmist says, one thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, to enjoy fellowship with God. Do you make that a priority? God wants that to be a priority for us on a daily basis, to enjoy him, to hear from him, to speak with him, to have face-to-face fellowship with him. This man ran away from that massive privilege of being a called prophet. He ran away from it. He took his own independent course. And for a prophet, no presence, no ministry. Now, you don't have to go into the far country, you know, the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son. If you like, the story is almost more about the other brother, the brother who totally misunderstood his father, the the brother that stayed at home. We know about the prodigal that went far off and was restored, party for him. And when there's the party for him, the older brother says, hey, you've never thrown a party for me. This this son of yours, doesn't say my brother, this son of yours, it's like I'm a good guy. But actually he knew nothing of face-to-face fellowship with his father. He stayed at home. He could say I haven't spent anything, but he didn't really know the father. He didn't know the father's heart. It's possible to stay at home and still not be in fellowship with the father. Tonight, I want to encourage us. Come on, let's get into fellowship with God. Right from this very first session, right from the outset of our weekend together, I want to invite you back into face-to-face fellowship with the Father, where we're saying, yes, Lord, whatever you say to me, that's what I want to do. Whatever you speak, even if it's unattractive to me, even if it's not my preference, even if that's not the way I would choose to go, I really believe in you. I believe in your wisdom. I believe in your love. I believe in your personal care for me. And although it would look from outward appearance that this is a better course, I trust you. I want to choose your way. 
That is the way to walk with God. That's the way to enjoy the Christian life, that we listen to him, we do his bidding. Jonah isn't in that kind of situation. He fled from the presence, from that wonderful awareness of the presence of the Lord. We see, first of all, that he fled. The second thing we find is this. He found a ship. First, he fled from the presence. Secondly, he found a ship. He wanted to go to Tarshish. He arrives at the harbor, and what do you know? There's a ship going to Tarshish. Hallelujah. It must be okay. It's okay. You know, sometimes we like that. We think, well, I want to do this, and what do you know? Here it comes. It must be the will of God. It must, God's in it. God made it happen. God threw us together. Sometimes people mess up, uh, and they've got, they're married. They meet another girl, but she keeps on being put across my path. I keep meeting her, and it's like, it's the way it works out. It just happens this way. And I mean, it must be God. God's throwing us together. I think God's, no, 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 no. A ship comes going to Tarshish. Satan's got a fleet of ships going to Tarshish. He can easily send anyone along. We too often let just the way things work out. Oh, it just must be the Lord because, well, these things came together. These events took place. We just find ourselves thrown together. We find we like the same things. Hey, come on. You've already got a relationship. You're supposed to be walking as a child of God. We don't just let things happen to us that take us off. We don't say, oh, look, here's a ship going. That must be okay. No, it's far from okay. You might say, well, what about Paul, the Apostle Paul? It says God wouldn't allow him to go this way. Paul wouldn't be allowed to go another way. The Spirit of Christ forbade him. That's not so with Jonah because Paul wants the will of God. And if you are devoted to the will of God, he will put barriers in your way. But if you're running away, there's no guarantee that God will put safety marks around you. And suddenly, here's the very ship he needs. It's going to the very location that he wants. And he gives himself to a path he should never be on. He's going down a route he should never go down. Beloved, we've got to be so careful when we start going down a road. And in our hearts, we we can hear this kind of conscience saying, what are you doing? You know, the conscience just kind of pleads with you. You can't just go and, if you're a Christian, you can't just go and sin without getting kind of warnings. You get alarms that come. Not like my friend, I have a friend called Giovanni in Italy, and I was with him in Italy once, and he's driving along, and and there's a red light, and he just drove straight through the red light. And I looked at him, and he looked at me and said, it is expressing an opinion. (laughs) Now, now your conscience isn't just expressing an opinion. You know in your heart when you're going down a route you shouldn't go down. When you're allowing those eyes to capture your eyes. When you're allowing that come on to draw you into something you shouldn't go into. When someone's offering you a deal and you know this is crooked, you could make some money, but you know this guy's not trustworthy and you think, well, it's been tough lately finance has been tough. This deal looks like it could work, but the guy's a crook, and you know he's a crook. What are you doing? What are you doing, child of God? 
Well, it came along. He just turned up just at the time. I was financially really in problems, and he came along. Must be God. No. See, this is warning us that just because things happen and events turn out, that we're just meant to go along, just like driftwood down the river. We're not meant to do that. We're meant to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're not meant to go with the flow. God's given us a life. God's given his word. God's given his spirit. We're not meant to just go with the flow. Tragically, this guy just lets circumstances seem to prove that all is well, and it's far from well. So he's fleeing from this face-to-face fellowship. He's not enjoying intimacy anymore. And now he's just letting circumstances lead. And beloved, he's a bit like weeping beef. It's not so face-to-face as it used to be. And this is the way it seems to turn out. So I'm going along. And it's not like a man walking with God. It's not like a woman walking with God. The third thing we find is this. Jonah fell asleep. He fled from the Lord. He found a ship. He fell asleep. He just became irrelevant. No sense of purpose. No sense of urgency. He just went down into the ship and fell asleep. Now, tiredness is perfectly legitimate. Nothing wrong with tiredness. We see Jesus was tired. We see, Jesus actually fell asleep in a storm. Find Jesus came to a well at one point, sat down exhausted, asked the Samaritan woman, can you give me something to drink? Jesus knew what it was to be tired. There's a tiredness that's perfectly okay. It's the, it's the, it's the end of hard work. It it's, 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 uh, leads to sleep, which is a mercy from God, and a rest from God. There's a sleep that is perfectly appropriate. It says in the Bible, God gives to his beloved in sleep. He gives us rest. But there is a sleep. It's just kind of turning off. It's kind of boredom, kind of without meaning. Your life, you don't get up in the morning and think, here I go. It's just life. It's getting on with it. And it's possible to think, well, how can I find my excitement? Well, what's on television tonight? It's the prayer meeting tonight. Ah, not, I can't pray. I'm too tired for the prayer meeting. I'm too tired for a small group. Yeah, small, I can't go to small group. When that's not happening, you should just feel a kind of warning light. What's happening to me? I'm kind of drifting. I don't have the same urgency. There's a sleep that's come on me that's not natural. It's a kind of spiritual dullness that's crept over me. And I don't value things I should value. I don't prize things I should prize. They're not important to me. I just don't really care. And you know, you can even be very busy and very bored at the same time. You can be very active, but inside your heart's gone cold and you're just kind of tired with life. And God doesn't want you like that. God doesn't want you tired with life. God doesn't want you bored with life. He really doesn't. We're children of the king. We're about the biggest thing happening in the world. We're seeing the kingdom of God come. We're raising up churches. We're planting churches. We're we're establishing families that are starkly different from the world's families. We're raising values that are completely different. We're holding a value that's completely different to the way even the USA is going now. So no, no, we leave it. We've got a great call on our lives. It's not a time to be bored. It's time to be excited. It's time to be alive. 
God wants us to be alive with his purposes. God doesn't want us to be asleep with boredom. So here we find Jonah is just falling asleep. He's got nothing to offer. We find that happens sometimes in the Bible. It says even as they're heading up to uh, Gethsemane and Jesus is looking for his apostles to pray with him and it says they, they fell asleep. They just they couldn't cope with it all. They're just weary. They got their eye off the bull right at the crisis, right at the time of the cross. They're just tired. They're not really in step with Jesus. And Beloved, tonight God wants to call us back. Would you come back into step with Jesus tonight? You say, oh Lord, I don't want to drift. I don't want to be away from your presence. I don't want to just catch any ship that's coming along. I want to be really purposefully engaged. Deliver me from this kind of boredom that's crept over me lately. I don't find I, I don't find to get anything from your word. I find prayers difficult. I, I kind of, it's all gone dead on me. And it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. God wants you alive in his presence. He doesn't want us to fall asleep in the midst of his great call on our lives. Fell asleep at a time when, yes, a a storm was about to break out. The book of Proverbs talks about the sluggard. It's a frightening word, really. But the, the book of Proverbs talks about the wise man, talks about the foolish man, and it talks about the sluggard. And it says about the sluggard, it says, as a door turns on its hinge, so the sluggard turns on his bed. It's not like he likes being there. He's attached to it. He just... <laughs> and it says, the, the sluggard puts his, puts his spoon in the, in the soup, but he can't have the strength to put it up to his mouth. There's all kinds of crazy things. It's like you come to a place where you can't be bothered. Beloved God is saying, come on. Step out of that. When there's a weariness come on our soul, let's not just say, well, I'm something wrong. No, no, let's get out of it. Let's make a a step tonight. Let's say, Lord, I'm coming back into a wholehearted commitment to your plan. I don't want to find my soul has fallen asleep. That I'm not really interested. I don't want to learn more about Jesus. I know about it. I'm not excited about things. Let's learn to find a fresh excitement in God. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Let's be careful that that's how it's going to be for us. And then the next one is this. Jonah failed the world. He failed the world. He became irrelevant. There's a storm going on. He's got no answer. There's a storm going on. Other guys are saying, hey, we better do something about it. They begin to call on their gods. They begin to bail out the water. They begin to row harder. And they're doing what they can do. He's, he's irrelevant. He's asleep. He's, he's hopeless. He's a waste of time. And Jesus said, if the salt has lost its savor, it's got no use at all. He might as well tread on it. Get trodden underfoot. And that's the tragedy of a church that's lost its way. It gets trodden underfoot. It's not relevant to society. And we find society increasingly say, well, the church is irrelevant. And we find the, ch- the society sometimes telling us what we should do. So they oh, they say there's a trouble. These days there's trouble with maybe the single parent problems, the drug problems, there's these problems. And we find some people starting to do stuff and, and trying to take action. And they'll say, church, why don't you join in church? Why don't you help us? We're trying to do something. Surely the church should be doing something. And that's how it is. Jonah's not in charge. He's being invited, come and help us. We're trying to sort it out. That's a tragedy when the world outside is trying to do something and the church looks like it's doing nothing. 
and they're inviting us to get in on their program instead of our being the light of the world, instead of our voice being heard, instead of our life speaking and shining brightly. Jonah's not shining brightly at all. He is failing the world as it goes into its crisis. And at this time, even here in the U.S., certainly in the U.K. and Europe, the challenge is for a real prophetic church to arise. A church that's hearing the voice of God, that's loving the Bible and honoring it absolutely, not scared of what it has to say, but owning it and speaking it in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, raising families that look biblical. God's looking for that, dear friends, because people are so lost and so bewildered. They don't know what's happening. The storms are hitting society. Economic crises, social crises, breakdown of all kinds of moral standards that our forefathers took for granted. Now they're getting lost. They're breaking down. Things are fragmenting. There's a storm out there. There's a spiritual storm out there. And it should be the church is the clear voice. The church is the, the people who know what they're saying. They're not being told by the world how they should change. In, the, in England, the, the, the world is saying the church should change its message. It needs to catch up. Culture is changing. Our views of marriage, our views of gender, they're all changing. Come on, church, line up, line up. We don't line up. We get before God. We hear what God has to say, and we speak God's word, and we live God's values. But if we get sleepy, beloved, we're useless in the world. We've nothing to say, nothing to present. There's no challenge in who we are and what we should say. So Jonah failed the world. Jesus said, watch and pray. The days are evil. There needs to be a carefulness. There needs to be a challenge that we present the answer, that we are God's people speaking God's word. Amen. That's what God wants from us. That's his purpose. And as this storm gets more and more terrifying, they begin to find him. Because they're saying to one another, call on your gods, call on your gods. There's no answer. Then they cast lots, and, and, and suddenly Jonah is found. Jonah is isolated. And suddenly he owns up to who he really is. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. The God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. And, and suddenly his own honest repentance before God immediately starts shining light. That's the way it is. When when the church starts to wake up to who she really is, then you'll find true revival is like that. People talk about they're putting on a revival. They mean really they're putting on an evangelistic series of meetings, which is fine, but it's not a revival. A revival is when the church suddenly wakes up to who she is. When she suddenly says, Lord, I'm sorry for the way I've been living, and I want to live for you. I want to be in step with you. I want to be in touch with you. I want to line up with your style. That's what God, when that begins to happen, when Jonah begins to say, no, I fear the Lord, I know the Lord, they begin to tremble because there's an authentic honoring of God in his life. And that has an overflowing impact on them. I remember some years ago, I, I saw a, a Christian film about a missionary working in a very pagan society, very primitive society. And uh, he, he, he had his own hut and uh, he lived right among the people. And he got to the place, because of their crookedness and the way they cheated him, we really started to hate the people. And he's supposed to be a missionary. And he's really fed up with them, because they keep stealing things from him. 
And uh, at one point in, in this movie, they're telling his story. It's a real story. Uh, and he, and he, he's, in the, he's in his hut, and the, 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 this, this native guy comes in. He's not wearing very many clothes. That's the way they were. And he's got these big lobe ears, and he's just hangs, things hanging from him. And he, he comes up to his desk, and while they're talking, he knocks this guy's pen off the desk, and it falls to the floor. And then with his bare feet, while he's talking, he, he moves the pen to a crack in the, door, uh, in the floorboards, uh, and the pen falls through. And underneath the hut is his friend who's catching the pen. And, uh, and they steal it. And, then, and this missionary, he kind of really loses it when the next day this guy comes into his hut and through his earlobe, he's got his pen poking. He's like, my pen. He's so furious. He hates these people. And then, and then God suddenly deals with him that you're here for them. You're here for these blind people. You're here for these people who don't know God. All they know is cheating and lying. That's all they've ever known. They don't know Jesus. They don't know anything. And God just breaks his heart. And he repents his attitude. How he's judging them for being wicked. Well, that's why they need a missionary. They are wicked. And, and, and something just, just breaks his heart and deals with him. And, and, and he repents. And his whole attitude changes. And the word, the word goes out among the tribes, the missionaries become a Christian. <laughs> because his whole attitude changes. And with his changed attitude, a softness starts coming. And then a breakthrough begins to happen. And people start getting saved because of, yeah, the way this guy is not acting naturally. He's not reacting. He's not taking a stance. He's let his heart be broken that these poor people... They don't know any better until they meet Jesus. Why should they know better? Why should they act good before they're saved? And there's a change in his heart. And here with Jonah is the beginning of a turning. It's the beginning of facing up to who I really am. I'm a Hebrew. I'm not meant to live like I'm not supposed to run away from God. That's not who I am. I shouldn't be living like this. Dear friends, it's when we individually get really right with God, when we're living differently, when our style is different, the way we conduct ourselves, where the church looks different, where the church's marriages are different, where husband and wife see things through together. They don't give up and walk away like the world does, which is the same as the world. God wants a, a completely different style, that different value system we work through that we represent the light of the world. We represent the true and living God. And he begins to turn, and his real identity comes to the surface. And then he begins to actually sound a bit like Jesus when he says, throw me into the storm. Throw me into the storm. And they say, no, 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 don't. Don't say such a thing. That's terrible. You shouldn't say that. And it says they began to rose because they, they can't, well, we just kill you destroy you. We can't do that. And they're reluctant to do that, but he's insistent. He's insistent. He says, throw me into the storm and your problems will be over. Beloved, this is one of the wonderful turning points in the book of Jonah. And do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Jonah. And of course, he's speaking of himself. 
And tonight, as I want to invite you to say, Lord, I want, I want to come back to you tonight. I don't want to go my own way. I want face-to-face fellowship. I want a purposeful life. I don't want to be running away. I don't want circumstances to always lead me. The first step is to come back and say, this is who I am. And then closely associated with that is to think and thank God, I have one who was hurled into the storm on my behalf. When Jonah was hurled into the storm, mercy came on the ship. When Jonah kind of became their substitute, storms coming on them, but he said, look, 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 I'll take it. I'll take it. Throw me into the storm. Throw me into the waves. And we know one called Jesus, who we're told was handed over. He gave himself. He was thrown into the storm for us, beloved. He took our place that we go free. He suffered that we might be forgiven. In fact, if you read through Jonah chapter 2, which we're not going to do right now, but if you take time, perhaps during the day tomorrow, to look at Jonah 2, you'll find it's almost a prayer that Jesus could be praying as he goes to hell on our behalf. He talks about the billows go over him. He talks about his going down into the depths. He talks about things that just encircle him. He's captive. Jesus went through all that so we could go free. Jesus endured the cross so we walk out free. Jesus endured the cross so your storm can end. So you can get right back to the Father. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. And we are his ambassadors saying, be reconciled with God. Now Paul writes that to a Christian church. He's not preaching that on the street corner to the heathen. He's saying that to the church. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And we are his ambassadors. We beseech you, be reconciled to God. Tonight, on this very first night, I want to do that. I want to appeal to you. If you know, no, I've gone from the presence of the Lord. I don't enjoy his presence like I used to. I'm letting events lead me. I'm letting just the way things turn out be my guide. My testimony in my workplace, no one is impacted by the fact I'm there. I am not a provocation. I am not salt. I'm not light. I'm not what I'm meant to be. I want to change that. Beloved, we don't want to put up on a camp like this, drive many, many miles, listen to sermons, and go home unchanged. We want to be changed. We want to feel God calling us back to himself, don't we? And say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I want to encourage you tonight as we close our meeting this first evening. Bless you for making the journey. Bless you for being here. Let's just not make the journey to the tent, to the field, to the fellowship. But let's make our journey to Jesus. Say, Lord, I really want to be with you. I'm sorry. I've gone off on a tangent. I'm not walking with you like I used to. Please, I just want to come back to you tonight. Take me through this weekend. Take me back into fellowship with you much more deeply. Make me a shining light. Make me one who can affect the lives of others. Jonah, first of all, saw that ship saved. Later, he's going to see a city saved. He's back in the purpose of God.
we stand, please? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you speak to us from these stories. We thank you for your patience, your love for your servant. So grateful you didn't just write him off. So grateful you didn't bid him farewell. Just get the job done. Just get another prophet to do it. Oh, Lord, I'm so grateful that you didn't leave me alone when I drifted off so badly. So grateful, Father, that you pursued me. So grateful for that one day when you turned me around and called me back. Father, I want to ask you right now, would you please call many back to yourself tonight into a new place, a new place of intimacy, a new place of hearing your voice, a new place of face-to-face fellowship, of relevance, lives that count with real impact where they're lived, so others take notice there with God. If you know God's spoken to you tonight, just feel in your heart, my Heavenly Father's spoken to me. I just want to invite you right now. Would you, right now, would you just slip out? Let's come and stand before Jesus. Come and stand here at the front. Let's come back to Jesus right now. Would you do that? Just right now, just excuse me, excuse me. Slip out of your row. Let's come and meet with Jesus. Let's come and say, Lord, I want face-to-face fellowship afresh. I want to be hearing your voice more intimately again. I don't want to just be the victim of circumstances. I hate just things happen to me. I just catch a boat. I just drift. I don't want to drift anymore. That's right. Just come and meet with Jesus. That's right. Just come, please. If there's, I'm not asked, but if there's ministry people here, small group leaders, elders, please come right through. Would you come as well, please? Come and pray with people, ladies as well as men. We need you, please. We need lots of people to pray for people. I'm sorry I didn't ask beforehand, but I'm taking it that there are elders here, there are small group leaders here, there are ladies who pray for people. We need lots of you, please. Would you just come right now, please? And if God's spoken to you, please don't miss the chance tonight. There's lots of people waiting to be prayed for. Can we just not block the aisle? just going to pray over us all. When I finish praying, please let's pray with love and hope. Just feel open to opening up as much as you want to. Don't feel you have to tell your story. But let's pray with love and faith for people, okay? Don't miss the opportunity. Don't say, I'll do this another time. Great, let's start tonight. Yes, Jesus, tonight I want to get right with you. Tonight, I don't like living at a distance. I want to live up close. I want face to face. I want fellowship with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you please that your mighty, 
Holy Spirit will come and meet with everyone who's come forward. Renew them in their walk with you. Break through where they've compromised. Help them to turn away from compromise. Help them, Lord, to turn away from just that ship that happens to be going to Tarshish. Help them to turn from it, Lord. Help them to embrace who they really are. They might be salt and light where you place them. They might have impact on those whose lives they touch. Lord, come to us, each one, I pray, Father. Come and touch everyone. Let your spirit rest upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's just keep praying for one another here. I don't think we're going to sing another song because I don't want the people not to be able to hear what's being prayed for them. So our meeting is kind of over. If you have children to collect, you might like to do that. If you want to wait for people here, just uh, you won't have to.